0: The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Sneimer. Welcome to the Best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the Week That Was. He is known as Jihadi Jack, a Muslim convert who traveled to Syria in 2014 apparently to support ISIS. He was a British-Canadian dual citizen until very recently when Britain revoked his UK citizenship. So now he is Canadian only, although he grew up in Britain where his parents live. His mother and father have undertaken a massive lobbying effort to bring him to Canada from the Kurdish prison where he's being held. They say he should face justice here, though it would be difficult, if not impossible, to gather evidence from Syria, which would hold up in a Canadian court. Early this past week, Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale said bringing home extremist travellers is not a priority for our government. On Monday, Libby Snymer discussed the story with Mubin Sheikh, former security intelligence and counterterrorism operative. Janice Stein, Professor, Monk School of Global Affairs, and Phil Gersky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting.
2: Well, it certainly sounds as if the minister was uh, blindsided by this. He expresses disappointment. Uh, the fact is, Libby, that he personally disagree with citizenship revocation cases. Britain doesn't, and in fact, it has already done that in several cases in the past. So there is precedent for the Brits, but. It certainly sounds as if they didn't let us know they were going to do this. And and to be honest, I don't know what was going on between the two countries with respect to this case and how to handle it. But it looks like Canada was uh, left in the dark, to say the the least.
3: Janice? It's no big surprise right now, given the shambles um, of a government that is in Britain that communication breaks down. It really is not business as usual in the UK. But regardless of whether Britain revoked his citizenship or not, um, this is, was at least 50% a Canadian problem because he was a dual citizen. Now it's 100% our problem. But whether it's 50 or or 100%, it's our problem anyway.
4: Mubin Sheikh, is it our problem? I mean, Ralph Goodale has said repeatedly that providing consular services or bringing these so-called extremist travelers back is just not a priority, and he's not going to risk the lives of any diplomatic personnel to do that.
5: Yeah, I think he has a reasonable case to be made there. Um, of course, diplomats are going to be far greater targets than others if they were to be if it were to be public knowledge that they're traveling to these areas. But, uh, I, you know, I don't know if he's uh, still yet our problem because it is, it does seem that everyone is kind of passing the buck to one way of describing it, or simply acknowledging that, listen, you can be a Canadian, uh, you know, is a Canadian, is a Canadian, and also in a foreign prison because of crimes that you committed on foreign soil. So I think the government is smart uh, to try to uh, prevent the repatriation of these individuals as, as much as legally possible.
3: We don't have any trouble saying a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian when our dual nationals are imprisoned inappropriately in other people's countries. Uh, then it's clear a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. But when they were accused of crimes, and in this case terrorism, a Canadian is not a
4: Canadian, I don't get it. So what are you saying, Janice? You think he should be brought
3: back? No, I'm saying he's our problem. All right? And we can't duck it. Um, So if we're saying, and and Ralph Goodell is very careful in what he's saying here. He's not saying it's not our problem, because it clearly is our problem. What he's saying is it's not a priority for this government to repatriate uh, people who are accused of jihadi crimes. Uh, Frankly, our record isn't a lot better on the women and children who who either... Uh, marry these, these men, or some of the women themselves were involved in these activities. Um, so this government is signaling this is low down on our priority list, and the writer we're not going to put our own people at risk um, to go to these, to travel to these prisons. Well, let's look in fact at where this prison is. It's in Kurdish-held territory, which is
5: our ally. But, you know, if we're going to say that listen, none of these options are available— and the only option available now is trying them in a Canadian court. Then let us prepare the public for this harsh reality that we may not be able to prosecute them and we will have only brought them back just to let them loose on our streets. And, and it's, I get all the legal arguments at the end of the day, but nothing trumps the public safety of Canadians. And it is not sound policy for us to engage in this kind of risky behavior of thinking that we can prosecute them, and in fact not. I think these are the options that we're dealing with. None of them are good. All of them are bad. Phil,
4: to wrap things up.
5: I
2: think the Iraqi court system is abhorrent. I think the trials are, are too quick, that they're not fair, etc. But who am I to tell the Iraqis what they can and cannot do with people who commit crimes on their soil? And my, my, my last word, Libby, if you don't want to go to the Iraqi court system in a 20-minute trial on the death end, don't become a terrorist in Iraq.
1: Phil Gersky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, Janice Stein, Professor Monk School of Global Affairs, and Mubin Sheikh, former security intelligence and counterterrorism operative. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On Tuesday, we followed up on Monday's lively discussion about the saga of jihadi Jack with a look at legal aspects of this case. Jack Letts is Canadian by virtue of his father's citizenship and has only been to Canada seven times in his life. And that apparently would make it more challenging to make a case against him here. Joining Libby for part two of our Jihadi Jack coverage, Scott Newark, adjunct professor in the terrorism risk and security studies program at the School of Criminology at Simon Fraser University, and Kent Roach, director of the Global Counterterrorism Law and
6: Policy Group. Not under the changes to the Citizenship Act, um, and you know, although some people may be concerned about that, I, I would just ask them, you know, where does this all lead? I mean, is this just who? Can as quickly as possible make this person another country's uh, problem. But uh, it is, you know, on my understanding of the law, it would not be possible to take away his citizenship. Now, that doesn't mean that he'll be coming to Canada anytime soon. There's uh, separate laws concerning uh, passports and so on. So, uh, but I don't think we could have stripped his citizenship under the law as it was amended.
7: Scott, do you agree with that reading of the law? Yes. The one uh, twist to it, however, is, and this is sort of the political angle of it, both uh, Canada and the United uh, Kingdom and most countries around the world also are parties to an agreement that says in, in making decisions about stripping people of their citizenship, and there are grounds for that under our existing legislation, we will not make a person stateless, and so what the British have effectively done is taken somebody who, let's face it, was born in the UK, was raised in the UK, was radicalized in the UK, you know, and left there to go to uh, ultimately to uh, to Syria. Uh, they revoked his citizenship, and essentially have just uh, dropped the ball on us, and that is what uh, makes the uh, sort of the the political angle of this, and it's what was reflected, I think, in Minister Goodell's. Uh, expression of quote disappointment is that uh... you know and both countries in many countries around the world we're not dealing effectively in my opinion with this very difficult situation of you know our quote citizens who have uh... jihadis detained abroad uh... but uh... They, they what's made it the particular news is is i think as i say the british kicking us under the bus and now it's up to us to decide how to deal with this
4: what i have read in many places is that we are under no obligation to bring him back. Is that true or false, Kent Roach?
6: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think anyone is expecting us to uh, go and Take him out of Syria, where he's detained by, uh, I gather, Kurdish uh, authorities. I think you know you might see, and and we saw this in the Omar Khadr case, is that you might see some litigation saying that there's some reasonable expectation that Canada would at least ask uh, for him to be returned, but uh, uh, we haven't seen that yet. So I think uh, you know more or less it is the status quo.
4: If Canada decided to bring him back, uh, the statute that he would be most likely to get a conviction on would be leaving Canada to join a terror group. But he didn't leave Canada. He he left the UK. So if that's the main avenue that we could get him on, um, it seems closed. Uh, Scott?
7: Yes, and uh, I think perhaps uh, Justin Trudeau needs you to brief him on that. I watched his press conference uh, yesterday, and he just completed completely vacuous about that, that issue. And actually, one of his own MPs, John McKay, who full disclosure, is no an old friend of mine, is the chair of the, National, the House National Security Committee, pointed out as well, too, the offense that's in our criminal code. Uh, is, as you said, leaving Canada. Well, he didn't leave Canada, he left the, uh, the United Kingdom. And whether we would have sufficient evidence, and again, there's a difference between information and admissible evidence, uh, is questionable. I, I don't know that because I don't know the details of what information we actually have about him. You know, uh, perhaps a deal with him, his family's got counsel in Canada deal with the Kurds and and get this going. But simply turning our back on it, in my opinion, is a bad idea because these future generations of jihadis, and I say this with respect to a lot of the kids that are being held there as well, too, that have Canadian, you know, moms have gone over. um, We are potentially watching the creation of another generation of jihadis if we do nothing, which our next generation of Canadians will have to fight so it's in our own self-interest, in my opinion, that we actually take proactive measures.
4: If the Liberals are re-elected, Scott Newark, do you think they'll bring him back or just leave it?
7: Um, I think that they uh, should take proactive steps and whatever that ultimately you know ends up in. So be it, and I agree, there's not a one-size-fits-all on here, but so far they have been uh, reluctant to take any proactive measures, and the Conservatives are now talking as though they won't either. Kent Roach, yes
4: or no, will they do it?
6: No, I, 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 unfortunately I think this is too much of a political hot potato and I doubt any government will touch it.
1: Kent Roach, Director of the Global Counterterrorism Law and Policy Group, and Scott Newark, Adjunct Professor in the Terrorism, Risk and Security Studies Program at the School of Criminology at Simon Fraser University. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. We found out this past week the Ontario PCs will go ahead with controversial municipal funding cuts for public health and child care starting January 1st. Premier Doug Ford made the announcement on Monday at a gathering of municipal leaders in Ottawa. It was earlier this year the Tories tried to force retroactive funding cuts for 2019, but cancelled them after municipal leaders, including Mayor John Tory, complained that annual budgets had already passed. Libby Snymer was joined by Toronto City Councillor James Pasternak and strategist Kim Wright for reaction. But first, Municipal Affairs Minister Steve Clark tried to clarify how the new phase of funding will roll out.
0: We have a a robust plan uh, that uh, we announced uh, in the spring as part of our budget that that reduced the deficit. But, you know, make no mistake, the the Liberals' uh, previous government left us in a fiscal mess. Uh, we're working with municipalities obviously we've uh, we've done our best and 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 we continue uh, to ask our municipal partners to work with us and because we've given them the time and we continue to work with them after the premier's announcement today as they lead into the budget process this fall i have tremendous confidence that uh, we're going to meet our fiscal targets with our municipal partners at our side and i i have no doubt that the work that I've been able to do at the AMO-MOU table collaboratively, it will continue. Uh, There's incredible political will by AMO to work with this government on meeting our fiscal targets, but also meeting the needs of our local communities.
4: In the past, Toronto Mayor John Tory has said that he felt that Toronto was singled out. And I know that the province has said Toronto has more means. Uh, Where are you at on that?
0: I I met with Mayor Tory uh, last week and I pledged to him That I want a positive relationship moving forward. I want to spend uh, a lot of time with uh, with him so that he can give me feedback uh, on uh, the transition uh, for our government. You know, uh, we've been again. I I want to talk about uh, Toronto in the in the in the in the vein of having we had 39 municipalities, uh, Ontario's largest municipalities, that were uh, eligible to take advantage of the Audit and Accountability Fund to do a line by line audit. We've received over 90 percent. 34 of 39, and if I have my way, by the end of this conference, I want to have closer to 39 out of 39 because there's no reason why uh, a large urban municipality can't take a portion of their administration and put it through this program. It's incredibly uh, easy for them to collaborate with us, that's my message today and my, my message this week at AMO.
4: How is this going to affect you right now? Let's bring in Kim Wright of Wright Strategies and Counselor James Pasternak of Ward 6 York Centre. So what is your
8: impression of what you heard, Kim? There was a lot of confusion in the room of what do these new announcements, uh, transition funding for 2020, new changes uh, to the agreements around child care what does that actually mean for those specific municipalities, one by one? And they also have these uh, audits that are underway, which will be looking at uh, 4% savings or reductions uh, as, as those come back in November, which will be a very fast audit process going into municipal governments' 2020 budgets.
4: James Pasternak, I mean it seems to me that their MO so far has been they they do things very quickly and then they backtrack. Do you see this as part of that?
9: Well I think there's still an opportunity to to work with our provincial counterparts, to um to reach out to them. Uh, to to work in a conciliatory way, um, I think listeners have to realize that municipalities had have, have a limited tax base on which to run programs. The the uh, property tax base can only fund so much. We don't want to hurt seniors. We don't want to hurt um, uh, young families trying to buy a home. We've got to keep that that tax rate below or or, or at the rate of inflation. And we've tried for many years to get other taxing powers. Uh, we tried to toll a few years ago. We were promised by the other provincial government that we would have the power to toll, uh, and, and that was uh, that was denied us to pay for regional transit. We did ask for a regional uh, sales tax, and, and that was uh, declined by the uh, federal government. Now, we did get a, a, a hotel hospitality tax, but that has so many restrictions on it. It's almost uh, uh, revenue neutral. So if we're going to take on more responsibilities at the municipal level, we certainly need the ability to have more revenue tools, something the federal and provincial government have. But at the same time, uh, we're, at, we're sort of at the breaking point here uh, where we can only take on uh, so much. And a federal system relies on good cooperation between among the three levels of government, plus the school boards.
8: Okay. Absolutely. You know, Councillor Pasternak is 100% right on this. And, you know, as we've talked about on previous shows, You know, there are some provinces that want a bit of a rebalancing of confederation. And what does that look like from a governance and a funding structure? Municipalities and school boards uh, and Indigenous communities also need to be at the table for that.
1: Strategist Kim Wright, Toronto City Councillor James Pasternak and Ontario Municipal Affairs Minister Steve Clark. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. How will the ethics commissioner's report on the SNC-Lavalin affair play out as a factor in the upcoming federal election? Our Tuesday strategy panel contemplated this question almost a week after Mario Dion ruled that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau violated the Conflict of Interest Act in his handling of the SNC-Lavalin affair. Libby Snymer was joined by John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village and a former Toronto City Councillor, and Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto.
10: Canadians have had a lot of time to process this story since it first broke, really, January, February of this year. We had the Justice Committee, the House of Common Standing Committee on Justice, which did hours and hours of testimony from the likes of the former Minister of Justice and Attorney General and the former Principal Secretary to the Prime Minister and the former clerk of the Privy Council. And I think Canadians had a good opportunity to digest the gist of what the issues were. And I think if you're inclined to not like Prime Minister Trudeau, then chances are last week's announcement reinforced those views. And if you're inclined to stand with the Prime Minister, then chances are you found fault in the review, or at the very least came to the conclusion that if the Prime Minister did transgress, he did so in an effort to protect Canadian jobs. So my sense is the fact that you're asking, does this story have legs, suggests to me that it probably doesn't.
11: Karen, would you agree with that? It's just he's a serial apologizer. He's apologized for everything under the sun that happened for the last 120 years. Surely to goodness, he can say, you know what? This was my intention. My if it was indeed his intention, my intention was to save jobs. I did. I didn't do it the right way. I I apologize for Canadians. But, you know, he ran on a platform of doing government differently. And he's done it exactly the same, if not worse than any conservative government could have possibly imagined. And so that's where I think the story is for voters. Like, who is this guy? Who is this guy who finds it easy to apologize on behalf of sins that were committed for on on any indiscretion you can imagine? And yet when he's actually at fault, and it's not a question of whether he's at fault. He was actually found to be at fault. For the second time. For the second time. His intentions aside, what he did was wrong. And I think for Canadians, we're left with, I don't even understand what this, what is this guy all about? And that becomes a big issue in an election because it's about character now. What is this guy really
4: about? You know that is the line that the conservatives are taking. That's their one of their campaign slogans uh not as advertised.
12: Well, and there's a reason why Libby. I think that the Conservatives are using that not as advertised line because it's been polling probably quite strongly for the for the Conservatives, um, because he he was big on winning about honesty and changing government and being transparent and being all of this that that he thought Stephen Harper was uh, wasn't. So the fact that he's come out and he's the only Prime Minister now to be to be um, looked at, transgressed the ethics rules twice now, the only Prime Minister to be able to do that is a big deal. And I think you know Charles says that you know people have have baked. Their decision on this, based on the fact that this was happening months ago, uh, the difference to this is that back then it was you know Judy, Jody Wilson-Raybould's R- R- word, it was you know Jane Philpott's word, it was everybody else's word. This was a third-party, independent uh, commissioner who found the prime minister to, to have transgressed the rules. That's the difference here, and I think that the, the reason why this is going to be important is because it speaks to the narrative, the overall narrative, Justin Trudeau, which I think the Conservatives are going to jump on, and hopefully the other two, the other parties, well as well although the NDP doesn't doesn't seem to be picking up any steam at all on this issue. Um, But the other issue, I think, that that should worry the Liberals and Justin Trudeau is the fact that this now gives, I think, credible claim for Andrew Scheer to go and ask for the RCMP to investigate this, given the findings that were in the Commission's
10: report.
4: Time flies when you're having fun, but we're running out of time on this, so we'll start with Charles.
10: If John or Karen say something With which I fundamentally disagree, I will probably make a point of saying, I disagree. And here's why I disagree. And what I won't do is turn to them and say, you're a liar. Mm. And unfortunately, our political discourse is going more and more in that direction. And it doesn't bode well for our political system. And it may be that some degree of a return to civility, what the prime minister aspirationally called "sunny ways" in 2015 is something we all desperately need, and, and which other jurisdictions need as well. Otherwise, we're going to see the rise of increasingly strident and bullheaded individuals who are "my way" as the door, "my way" or the doorway, and uh, what I say goes, and there's no room for discussion and compromise and brokerage.
11: Yeah. I think this election is going to be interesting because I don't think anything has been settled yet, despite what the polls might be moving up or down. I think that the next 10 weeks are going to be very interesting to watch.
12: I would agree. I think it's going to be tight. I think the polls reflect it. I think the Canadians that I've talked to across, uh, across this country have, have sort of are, are reflective of that. It's going to come down to certain provinces and certain ridings uh, where one may flip the other, and it could be a difference between a, mon- a minority government, either conservative or liberal, or a majority government, either conservative or liberal, based on how that breaks. And then the NDP and the green factor are going to, be, are going to play a role as well in this election, which oh. we've never seen before.
1: John Capobianco, Senior VP and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road. Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village and a former Toronto City Councillor. And Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. And now... Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Pat in Georgetown, who says she's against allowing Jack Letts, or Jihadi Jack, to come to Canada after he's been accused of joining ISIS terrorists.
3: This is a man who went over there with murder in his heart to kill as many people as he could. Nobody has forgotten the other one who got Omer Kadu, who got $10 million, and God help us if we ever did that again. Why should we bring him back, a man who has radicalized and loved the life over there enough to stay there? He should stay where he created the problem and not ever come back here. Leave our people alone. In some instances, a Canadian is not a Canadian, is not a Canadian. Just because you have a passport, live up to the Canadian values and don't ever expect anything less.
1: That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow. Tomorrow, when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back.
0: The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer Moses Nymer.